1: Turn with me to Hebrews chapter ten, Hebrews chapter ten. New and improved. You ever heard that sales pitch before? You ever seen that in a commercial? Oh, maybe it's worded a little differently. Advertisers have realized just how jaded that phrase has made us over the years. But we are constantly promised new and improved. Now, many times, Advertisers bank on something we call brand loyalty. That's why they market so heavily to kids and to the young, because they know if they can lock you in as a customer early on, they can count on that brand loyalty. The problem with brand loyalty in a society like ours, an economy like ours, which is increasingly not free market capitalism, which by the way, personally, I believe free market capitalism, probably the closest economy in the world today to what God gave to the nation of Israel in the old covenant. But that's not what we're seeing today. We are seeing more of a predatory capitalism where the big are constantly consuming the small. And so a big company with a bad reputation will often... Hide behind a smaller company that has a good reputation that they have bought up. And you'd be surprised some of the brands that you have been using and the items that you've been using for years that no longer say made in the USA. By the way, do you know how hard it is to find toys that are made in the USA? We, we realized this a number of years ago when we were trying to find toys for Elijah when he was very young. That because uh, he was always sticking toys in his mouth when he was you know one two years old. We wanted to make sure that we were buying as natural a product as we can because we didn't know what kind of paint was on that thing or where it had been made. And we found out to our dismay that at least on the Amazon, it is hard to find almost any toy made in the USA. At least anything that Elijah would want to play with when he was one or two years old. Made in the USA, not so often. Anymore, many times assembled in the USA, but really made somewhere else. Other ingredients, say organic company or a company that promotes itself on being all natural. Well, yeah, that was when they started, but they've been bought a long time ago by a bigger company. How do you know? That new and improved is a promise you can trust, that you can bank on. Well, friend, there is one brand you can always trust. Made in the kingdom. By the king himself. For kingdom citizens. Jesus says this at the end of the book. At the end of our study of Revelation, we will... Get to, Lord willing, we will get to Revelation chapter 21. And in verse 5, we read these words He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, speaking to John, Write, for these words are true and faithful. When Jesus makes something new, it is infinitely improved it is vastly improved jesus takes what is dead and makes it alive jesus takes what is finite and makes it infinite now how do i know that what jesus has promised me in the book of revelation is reliable and is true and the way that i judge Future behavior is by past behavior. The way that I predict many times, future outcomes is past outcomes. What has Jesus already made new? That's what we're going to talk about this morning as we consider Hebrews chapter 10 in preparation for communion. And I want to focus in on two verses Before we begin to dive into this chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 20 say this. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new. And living way. Which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and on the third day rose from the dead, physically, literally, exited that tomb, He did more than split the calendar. Now they can change B.C. to B.C.E. all they want. But even though they don't want to say before Christ, even though we want to say before the common era, what was it, what event caused the common era that changed all of our calendars to occur? It was the death of the Son of Man, the Son of God, who rose to life. And changed everything. And today, friend, I want to talk to you for a few moments about Jesus Christ. And about Jesus Christ as our new and living way. Now, we're going to kind of do an overview of most of this chapter. A lot of verses in this chapter. So some of them we're going to be looking at more closely than others. But I want you to look with me at verses 1 through 20 as we consider what it means that Jesus is the new and living way. Hebrews chapter 10, and let's start with verses 1 through 10. Jesus is the new way. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not Possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above, when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldst not. Neither hath pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first. That he may establish the second by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. Now. That's a lot. To digest, but let me try to simplify it for you this morning. Jesus is the new way and the only way that we must approach God. And he has replaced an insufficient sacrificial system with his once for all sacrifice of himself. The Jews would have to bring sacrifice. They would bring sacrifices on a regular basis. But once a year, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies and he would offer on the Day of Atonement a sacrifice for the sins of the people and for his own sins, of course, because he was an imperfect person. Now, what was happening in the first century? Remember, the book of Hebrews is written to a specific group of people. I'll give you a hint. The clue is in the title of the book. It's written to the Hebrew people, okay? All of the Bible is for you. It's not all written about you, and it's not all written directly to you. Now, it's for you. Absolutely, the book of Hebrews is for us, Jew or Gentile. All Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is profitable. It's profitable for our doctrine. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It is essential. If you want to be mature and complete, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, you need all Scripture, not just what he wrote. You need the whole thing. But many people get confused, and chapter 10 is one of the places where many Christians stumble. They don't understand What the writer is talking about because they think that he is speaking to them and he is speaking to the Hebrews. Remember, in the first century before A.D. 70, which is when this was written, before the destruction of the temple. Many Jews heard about the death of Jesus. Many of them heard about the resurrection of Jesus. And many of those people believed in both the death and the resurrection as a historical events as historical facts. But friends, knowing the facts does not mean you are born again. It does not mean that you have placed your faith That you have placed your faith. I heard Greg Laurie one time talk about leading a Vegas gambler to the Lord. And he was very raw in the faith. And Greg said, I wasn't quite sure if he understood what we were talking about and what it meant. And I said, do you understand the decision that you say that you want to make? And this gambler said, Pastor, I'm all in on Jesus. I'm all in. I'm not keeping any chips back to try to be a better person. I'm not trusting in my baptism. I'm not trusting in my church attendance. I'm not trusting in the fact that I'm a nicer neighbor than the person I live beside or across the street of. I am trusting in Christ and in Christ alone. And what was happening in the first century was that there were Jews who were acknowledging the resurrection of Jesus. But they still wanted to fit in with all of their family who were still going to temple and still offering sacrifices in the temple. Now, Daniel chapter 9, God said, after Messiah is cut off, I'm going to let I'm going to let a people who had in Daniel not yet been identified, turns out they were the Romans. He said, I'm going to let a people who's coming destroy the temple and the city to show you the consequences for rejecting the Messiah. And that's exactly what happened in AD 70. But until then, for those 40 years, Jews were acknowledging the resurrection, but they didn't want to stop going to temple. They didn't want to stop trying to earn it. They didn't want to stop being part of the sacrificial system. And so the writer of Hebrews says, friends, there is a new way and that old way does not help you anymore. In fact... The whole reason that those sacrifices had to be repeated year after year after year after year was because they didn't remove your sin. They covered your sin in God's grace. They covered sin, but they did not remove sin. But thank God, Jesus' sacrifice has removed my sin. Once for all, he died. And now that old sacrificial system is no good, no more. My wife came here to the United States initially on a work visa. And then she became, she got that green card, which isn't green. I don't know why it's not green, but uh, she got that green card. But when she became a citizen of the United States, she didn't need the visa anymore. In fact, the visa is useless. It's pointless. And she didn't need the green card anymore. Because she is now a citizen of the United States. And what the writer is saying is if you are now a citizen of the kingdom of God, stop acting like you are just a part of the nation of Israel. Offering those sacrifices over and over again. Now, many, ta- many times today, we're not bringing goats and bulls, right, to church. But many times we're bringing that same spirit, that same attitude. I got to earn it. I got to deserve it. I have to be good enough. I have to be smart enough. I have to be faithful enough or else I'm not getting in. And there is one new way. That's Jesus. Everything else the writer in these verses says was just a model. It was just a shadow of Jesus. See, people have always been saved the same way always it wasn't that people in the old testament were saved by works and now we're saved by faith no people have always been saved by grace and that grace was always received through faith that's always been the case always in fact the very next chapter hebrews chapter 11 is going to illustrate that time and time again it's always saved by god's grace noah found grace in the eyes of the lord found favor. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's always been about God's grace that we receive through faith in the provision that God provides. And what Hebrews is saying is that provision, that sacrificial system was a shadow. It was a model of Jesus Christ. Everything in that old tabernacle, Remember, before there was a temple built by Solomon, there was a tabernacle established under the law of Moses. And everything in that tabernacle and everything in that temple was a model of a heavenly reality. And that sacrificial system was a shadow of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus himself said this. Many times as Gentile Christians, we miss this. In fact, I miss this for a long time. But did you know, I, I want to show you a picture of the, of the tabernacle, obviously a, a drawing of the tabernacle, not, not an actual picture. But in the tabernacle, there was an outer court that you had to enter in. And not everyone was able to come into the outer court, but then not everyone in the outer court was allowed to come into the holy place. But then even within the holy place, there was one room, the holiest of holy places, Where only the high priest and only once a year was he allowed to come into that holiest of holy places. Where was the Ark of the Covenant? The mercy seat where he would offer that atoning sacrifice, which in those days, back then, the shadows, the models could only cover sin. Only cover it. But did you know the rest of the story? As Paul Harvey would say, that there was a name for those three gateways, those three doors. If you wanted to come into the outer court, you had to come through a gate called the way. And if you wanted to go into the holy place, you had to enter into a gate called the truth. And if you wanted to go, which only the high priest could go, beyond the veil, Once a year, you had to go through the veil that was called the life. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And the only way you can get to that mercy seat is through me. And what did Jesus do on the cross? His flesh, his body was sacrificed for you and for me. So that we can now, as Hebrews chapter 4 says, come boldly. You don't have to be the high priest. In fact, that old high priest system, that's all all gone. We have a new high priest. We have a new high priest named Jesus Christ, who his own flesh was the doorway and when Christ on the cross gave his life for you and for me, that veil, that temple veil, which was a big massive, that's not like some curtain you got hanging in your living room. That was a massive veil. God just ripped that veil in two. Now, you don't have to come to a sacrificial system. In fact, that sacrificial system is gone. It is as tangible as a shadow. We come to God one way. The truth of the life of Jesus Christ. He is the new way. Notice, He is also the living way. He's not a dead way. It's not dead animals year after year after year that satisfy the wrath of God, that satisfy the will of God. And it's not your dead works. Isaiah says all of our righteous deeds are just filthy rags. In God's eyes. We have a living way. A way of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says here in verse 11. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oft times the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Otherwise, as he's already said, they wouldn't have to keep doing them over and over again. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins... Forever sat down on the right hand of God. Now, how did he sat down at the right hand of God? Because on the third day, he rose from the dead. And when he ascended into heaven, he is now on the throne and he is sovereign and he is God, a very God. And we have not a human high priest full of failures But the one great high priest, God himself, Jesus Christ, who offered his own sacrifice of himself and from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. We've been studying the book of Revelations together. We've seen the nations raging as they will and listen as they are raging. Because the Antichrist system is already here. But 1 John 4 tells us that the spirit of Antichrist is already here. He's already working. Paul calls it the mystery of lawlessness. He says, already at work. The nations are raging. But God asks the nations in Psalm chapter 2, why y'all raging? And why are you plotting a vain thing? Because my king is coming, and he is going to make all y'all. His footstools. Now that was obviously the Ritchie paraphrase. But you get the point. Jesus Christ is coming to be victorious in effect as he is already in reality. Because he, verse 14, by one offering hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before... This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin, having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. We have a way. He is risen. He is reigning and he is returning. And everything that we do between now and then. Needs to be lived in awareness of and in preparation for that day, the day when he returns for us. And the day when he returns with us, those days are on the horizon. He's risen, he's reigning, he's returning and friend. Unlike in the Old Covenant, where you had to have your sins covered year after year after year after year, and they could not be removed. They could not be removed. You and I have the amazing privilege of knowing when I come to Christ... By faith, and I recognize I'm a sinner who cannot save himself, but that Jesus Christ died for me and he rose again, and all I need to do and all I can do is declare by faith my faith in him that I am forgiven of my sins. I am made eternally alive, and I am eternally sanctified. I don't have to worry about losing it. Well, I had a bad week this week. Am I still saved? Are you saved? By the blood of the Lamb? Are you saved by God's grace already purchased for you? Because Hebrews 10 says, If you are saved, you are set apart by the Spirit of God Himself. You belong to Him. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I'm the Good Shepherd. You're in my hand. And you're in the Father's hand. And if you think that you can get yourself out from the infinitely power, powerful hand of the Son of God and the infinitely powerful hand of the Father, then you are deceived and deluded, my friend. You may not really truly know that you know that you have eternal life. And I would plead with you today to make sure that you're sure that your faith is not in yourself is not in how hard you work and how fiercely you believe, but that there is a time in your life that you are sure that you admitted your sin and believe that Jesus Christ died for you and rose again and you called upon the Lord to save you and believe that He did save you, that He did forgive you, that He did give you eternal life and that you are alive in Christ today. These things are written, John would say, that ye know that ye have eternal life. Not you're trying to get it. Not you're on your way. But you have eternal life. Now, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. We're part of the family of God. We've been forgiven. We've got eternal life. But what are we supposed to do about it? That's what verses 19 through 25 tell us. Verse 19 says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is say his flesh, because of what he did for us on the cross and the fact that he rose again, he is now our high priest and having a high priest over the house of God, let us do three things. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he's faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as ye see the day approaching now. Let me just walk through these very quickly. Let us draw near. That means you need to live as a child of God. You've seen it yourself. My son has no problem coming up on this stage, even when everybody's here. And giving his dad a hug. Or at, he has no problems trying to march into my office sometimes when I'm trying to have a meeting. Or sometimes when I'm trying to If he's in the building, he wants to come in. He wants access to daddy. Do you know that you have access to the father all the time. And by the way, there's, he's way more, more infinitely competent than I am. There's only one of me and I'm finite and I can only pay attention to one person at one time, but God can pay attention to all of us all the time. So anytime you need him, you can approach him and you say, but you don't know what I did this week, but he does know what you did this week. One of the things I've tried to teach my son is that when you make a mess, please, Elijah, do not try to clean it up yourself. Please come to me. Please come to mommy. Please tell us, I made a mess, so that we can help you clean up. Don't, stop trying to fix yourself. God wants you to bring your brokenness to him. God wants you to bring your sin to him. He can't fix you. He can heal, if he can raise the dead. Romans chapter 8 says, if the Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, why do you think he's not gonna give life to your mortal body? Why do you think he can't give you victory over what you're dealing with? So draw near, draw near to your Father, confessing and believing that you are already forgiven and what you are trying to reestablish is not your salvation but your re- relationship with God. Because y'all have kids, you know, if you have kids, you know, you love them, but y'all always don't like them, right? Now, you, of course you do. You like them, but you know what I mean. You're not always happy with them. That's what I'm saying. I always love my son. I always like my son. I'm not always liking what he's doing. I'm not always happy with what he's doing. You see that mischievous grin on his face? He knows. God always loves you. You're his child. God always loves you. He loves you more than you love your own kids. Not always happy with how you're living. And so what we need to do is we need to come back and reestablish that relationship with him. We need to draw near and then we need to hold fast. Now, what are we holding fast to? Not our salvation. Not, oh, you better hold on tight or God's going to drop you. No, no, no. Hold fast your witness. Hold fast. your wit. Live as a witness for God. He's talking to a group of people who they don't want to pay the price of not going to temple anymore. But what will my family say if I stop going with them to the temple? They're going to think I'm still in my sin, but you're not still in my in, in your sin if you trusted in Jesus. Yeah, but they'll they'll ostracize me. They'll, now, listen, some of you have experienced that most of us have not. Not the level of what was going on in the first century. Not the level of what's going on all around the world in Muslim countries when Muslims come to Christ. Or in Hindu countries when a Hindu comes to Christ. uh, We have a friend who's a a Hindu from, well, not a Hindu, he's an Indian, but his family was Hindu. And um, his father was the first Christian in their family. And there were, I think, five guys, young men at the time who got saved, and I believe his father, maybe one of the other ones are the only two or he's the only one who's still alive. The others were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ in India. And when his father, my friend's father, went to his my friend's grandfather, to his dad, who was praying to a, an idol out behind their house in the yard and offering incense and sacrifice to the idol. Paul, who is a new convert, brought his Bible and said, Dad, I need to read this to you. And he began to read the Bible to him, and that idol fell over and shattered. And his grandfather, tragically, his grandfather did not say, let me read that book. His grandfather said, get that book out of here. I don't want to deal with that kind of power. And so my friend says, my dad, the first in a long line of demon worshipers who came to believe in Jesus Christ. Live as a witness. Most of you, most of us, maybe, in the, maybe things, will, things are changing fast, okay? I'm not promising you this. But probably not within the next few months are you going to have to pay a really heavy price for saying, yes, I'm a Christian. Oh, you might lose a few friends. Lost a few friends over saying, I'm pro-life. Because, what, I'm against the murder of children? In the womb? And and some of those friends that that have unfriended me, they don't even argue that it's not a child. They know it's a child. They don't even argue it. Are we willing to live as a witness? Let us hold fast our witness. And friend, let us consider. Let us consider what? Verses 24 and 25. Let us consider one another. To provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Friends, I, there are um, people in our who are members of our church family who cannot be here every week. They cannot. Kenny Butts and his wife, Kenny and Carolyn, can't be here every week. Leroy and Betty cannot be here every week. Peggy Williams cannot be here every week. I'm going to start. I, there, there are many people. I'm, I, I'm, I know I'm leaving people off the list, but i want to go on and on and on. Listen, they would be here. They want to be here. They can't be here. But I can be here. You say, yeah, you're paid to be here. Well, I haven't always been a preacher. I haven't always been a preacher. I haven't always gotten paid. To be here. Don't forsake. Let me give you four words as we close here. To live as the church of God is four things. It is provocation, integration, exhortation, and expectation. Friend, you need all four of those things, and you need them every week. In fact, I'd say you need them more than once a week. All right? More than once a week. I, listen, I, I'm not, I don't try to guilt people into coming to church, but you get, you, know, you get to come more than once a week. There are tremendous opportunities. We have tremendous Sunday morning Bible studies that you can be a part of. We have, uh, I think, tremendous Sunday night services and, and kids choir and our youth. And we have uh, tremendous Wednesday nights. And I have not been teaching Wednesday nights uh, um, the last few months, mostly. Uh, Scott's been taking us through the book of Nehemiah. I've got a few more weeks with Scott in Nehemiah. We have tremendous time on Wednesday nights. You have tremendous opportunities to come and to experience God's Word, which is alive, and experience these four things as the body of Christ. One, number one, you need some provocation in your life. You need some provoking. Now, I know, listen, I know some of you have been hurt. I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt more by Christians than, by non- than, the, than the non-Christians that I've known. I have been. But you know what? I didn't always get along with my sister when we were growing up, but I'd die for her. We're family. We better start learning how to live with each other now. We're going to live with each other forever. Now, I know it's a big house. We're we're moving into a big, big house with lots and lots of room, a big, big table with lots and lots of food. Some of y'all know that song. That's how old I am. We need iron to sharpen iron in our lives. We need some provocation on a regular basis. Number two, we need some integration. We gather not just to, to sit, but to connect. It's hard to connect. If, you only, if you're only here for an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half on a Sunday, once or twice a month, it's hard to connect. It's hard to integrate with others and friend, you're going to go through. Some of you are already going through some things. You need the prayers. You need the next thing, the exhortation. What is that? That's encouragement. You need encouragement. Sometimes I sometimes I find out somebody was in the hospital after they got out. And and there's times when I yeah, I would have been there if I knew, but I I did not know. And sometimes people just assume that. Um, that I know or that one of the deacons knows or that somebody knows. And so sometimes we we don't get there, but the pastor can't do it and isn't supposed to do it by himself anyways. It's the body of Christ that's to minister to the body, not just the preacher. My job is to equip the saints, Ephesians chapter 4, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The ministry is all of us. It's not me. It's all of us. Me and you and all of us together. But if see if I'm disconnected, then it's hard when people it's hard for people to know when I have a need or when I need encouragement or when I need someone to pray with me. And so when we get involved, we get integrated and we get that exhortation. But here's the last thing. As we prepare for communion, prepare our hearts for communion. All the more we're to do this, all the more. As you see. The day approaching. Now, we're taking a break today from our study of the book of Revelation, but why are we going through Revelation? Because, friend, the day is approaching. The day is approaching. And the more we see it, the more we're to gather, the more we're to prepare, the more we're to encourage one another, the more we're to integrate, the more we're, yes, even to sometimes provoke one another to love and good works. We are to do it more and more as things get dark, not less and less. Not less and less. Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, he's coming again. And we don't know the day or the hour. No man knows the day or the hour. We're not setting dates. But I can give you this promise. We will see the day approaching. And I believe we see it more and more. Every day. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Father, uh, as we prepare our hearts for communion, Father, may we look back on the new and living way of Jesus Christ, what He has done for us. God, may we live with renewed appreciation, renewed commitment to draw near, to hold fast to our witness, and to consider the rest of the body of Christ. Father, you've given each of us a gift. You've given each of us a gift. And every gift is needed. Father, help us to see. But Father, if there's somebody here today that that does not know you, I pray that through the power of your promises and your word, they will recognize today that they're a sinner in need of the one and only Savior who died for them and rose again and they would not put it off any longer. This would be the day when they would get it right with you, receive your grace the one and only way that we can through 100 total percent faith in you. We love you. Thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare for communion, we're going to sing an invitation time. If you have a need, the altar's open. Our deacons are here. Our deacons' wives are available. But Let's sing this to the Lord as we close. This part of our service. See. God that you have declared your children righteous in Christ that there is now therefore no condemnation in your son Jesus Christ that when you look at me you see Jesus you don't just see DJ and so father as we now turn to communion God may we consider our lives may we consider and reflect on the meaning of what we're about to partake of and give you all the praise and glory in it. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
0: That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876 we would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m., and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for sixth grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.